Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm excited this morning. I'm excited to be back in the saddle, if you will. I get to travel a lot, and uh, it's been a few months since I've been able to preach here at my own home church. And so uh, I heard a story. Uh, this is probably about a month ago. I heard a story. It's a Christmas-themed story, so I thought it would be perfect for this. But there's a young man who was uh, really excited about the Christmas musical, the Christmas play that was going to be happening in his church. Okay? And so he, he, he really starts to work. He had his eyes set on he wanted to be Joseph. And so he worked real hard. He learned all the lines. He tried out for the part, and he didn't make it. He did not get the part. He ended up uh, getting the part of the innkeeper. And so he, he stayed true to his form, you know, a young actor, and he, he, he learned his lines and just couldn't get past the point. He wasn't going to be a major character in this program. So the night comes, and uh, Mary and Joseph, you know, throughout the story, they come and they knock on the innkeeper's door looking for a place to stay. And you know, the usual thing that he should do is say that there's no room in the inn. The difference is this time he took some liberty and uh, he flew the front door wide open. He said, come on in. We have the best room waiting for me. Everything is ready to go. <laughs> Thoughting, thinking that he was going to steal the show. You know, silence falls over the crowd. And this is why Joseph got the part that he did as the better actor, because he stepped right in in that moment. He said, hold on, honey, let me look. And he took a peek in the door. He said, no, this place is a dump. We'd be better off staying in the barn. We're going to go stay out there. <laughs> and he kept going. The show went on. And I thought, man, that's it. That's the kind of guy. I like that young man. That's, that's the one I'd want to be around. And so with Christmas, oh, man, this is... I'm a summer guy. I hate snow, even though I've been here my whole life. But Christmas is is the greatest time of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And so today, I want to I want to examine the account. Uh, you know, not just the the Christmas story, but really the the wise men, the magi that came to visit Jesus. And so we're going to jump right in into Matthew uh, chapter two. The interesting thing about the stories of the birth of Jesus is is you know there's Part of it is found in, in the Gospel of Matthew. The other part is found in Luke. The other two Gospels don't mention anything about uh, the birth of Jesus uh, in the account, if you will. And so Matthew talks about the wise men. Luke doesn't. And so we'll be reading from Matthew. So I want to start just ahead of chapter 2. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men, secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Many of us have heard this story, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And so one thing that I want to address today, obviously the Magi is a major part of the Christmas story, of the birth of Christ. But so many times, I guess, maybe especially in America, the message can get clouded. You know, when it comes to Christmas time and all the things, and uh, I think of uh, even my own nativity set at home. I, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for some of these things. You know, years ago when I realized, hey, you know what, that uh, it really probably didn't look like that. You know, I start to think in my head, maybe I should pull some of these guys away. Maybe I should do this, right? Do all these things. And you can get caught up in that instead of looking at the big picture of what it all means together, right? So I'm not here to say that it's bad if you have wise men that are at your nativity scene. I'm not here to say any of those things. But it is interesting to actually really look at Scripture and look at what it says and look at some of the details. And I believe today it may open our eyes to some things that the Word of God says to us. So first of all, who were these magi? Who were these wise men? Most likely they were astronomers from the east, most likely Persia. Some say maybe uh, one of them was from India, but these were intelligent men. These were people that um, made a living by reading the stars, by looking at the stars. This was actually a science at that time. They were not necessarily kings. The Bible never mentions that they're kings. That comes from a holiday Christmas song, We Three Kings. <laughs> three gifts, so they assume three kings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that there's three kings. And in fact, with these men um, being who they were, uh, being higher up in society, more than likely, there was an entourage that came with them. They didn't travel this route by themselves. Um, even if you just think of some of, some of the things, the, 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 parable, um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Traveling the roads in the times of Jesus was a dangerous thing. So now you have these guys who are well off, who have uh, money or have things that are extremely valuable, and most likely they didn't just hop on some camels and ride across the desert by themselves. There, was, there could have been hundreds of people. So now you think of that as Herod sees this entourage of people coming. <laughs> now you can understand his mindset a little bit differently, right? So not necessarily kings on a long journey, we know that they came from the east. This is something that's easy to overlook. If you look at different points throughout scripture, whenever it mentions things coming from the east or people coming from the east or people getting banished to the east, it always means further away from God. You look at Adam and Eve. When they were expelled from the garden, they were pushed to the east. When, when, when Cain was in trouble, it says he got pushed even further east. Right? You can, there's different accounts throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, where you can see that there's a theme. It always says it comes from farther away. So to, 
easily look by that and say, well, these guys just came from the east. Well, they're coming from far away from God to come and pursue to seek God, right? They saw a sign and they're coming to see him. Think about even the east gate in Jerusalem, also known as the golden gate. That's the one that is all bricked up right now, right? That's the one that we know that Jesus is going to walk back through when he comes back, right? There's so many little things, little information in this that we can miss by just, you know, kind of just briefly going over it. Another big thing, they were not there the night that he was born. Maybe there's an account, maybe that's why that, uh, you know, Matthew does it one way, Luke does it another way. And you say, well, how do you know that? You don't know that for sure. Well, one thing is for certain. If you look at 40 days, it was Jewish law that you had to take your newborn, especially a newborn firstborn son, to be dedicated at the temple. At 40 days, you had to do that, okay? The Bible records that Joseph and Mary gave the minimum offering was two doves. Normal offering when you go to dedicate your, your baby was a lamb and a dove, which even in that, if you just look at that, a lamb <laughs> and a dove. Really? Right? If that is not foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, of the Holy Spirit of God, and the Bible records that they gave the poor man's offering, if you will, of two doves, okay? Now, if these three kings, which brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these three wise men, right? If they brought this gold, frankincense, and myrrh, um, the two doves would not fly. That I can tell you. <laughs> would not fly, literally and figuratively. <laughs> If you look at this, I did some, tried to find some research. They estimated that just one gold brick, okay, that most likely you see, we don't know for sure what it looked like. It could have been a little couple, you know, marbles. My wife actually found a picture that she was going to put on the bottom um, instead of those gifts. And when I saw it, I didn't know what it was because all the pictures that I saw of gold, frankincense, and myrrh didn't look like that. But if they would have brought the picture that she found, then maybe it would have worked. But a gold brick estimated today is worth about $325,000 in today's money. Could have been worth even more back then. Um, frankincense, myrrh, these were all things that were highly, highly sought after. Okay, very extremely valuable. So if they would have come and met them the same night as the shepherds were there and gave them all these gifts when they went to the temple, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have been allowed to give that poor man's offering. They would have, they would have had ample Ample. In fact, what's interesting, the Bible doesn't speak to this, 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 but you wonder how when the angel told them that they had to flee to Egypt. Well, if they're so poor, how did they get there? How did they make it there? God provided, right? They have these things that were given to them. So, so many little different uh, things. If you look at Leviticus 12 is where it tells you that they're to give a lamb and a dove as that offering. They gave the two turtle doves. And so, you look at all these details, why does this really matter? It doesn't really matter. Is it doesn't make a difference. I remember a, a few years ago during the, the month of December, I had the honor of being the welcome person, which Janet has done that for December. And I took each week, I did gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, you know, the gold that represented royalty, the frankincense that represented priesthood, the myrrh that represented our Savior that was going to die. The myrrh that was placed on a stick, on a sponge that was given to Jesus as he hung on the cross, that was given to him also as a baby. Another foreshadowing of who he is, the Savior 
of the world. The anointing oil that's used for worship, frankincense that's given, that, that represents the priesthood, right? Could represent the prayers that we give, the prayers of the saints. All these gifts, some of the most sought after things of, Je- of Jesus' time. And like I said, that was most likely what allowed Mary and Joseph to be able to flee to Egypt and continue to live. So if we look at these wise guys, these wise men, not only did they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but they gave of their time. They traveled to see him. So maybe we don't have gold to give today. Maybe we don't have gold to give this Christmas season, but we absolutely have our time. They journeyed an extremely long time to see him. Some estimates are from weeks to even over a year, almost to two years, just going by what scripture says. When they came to see him in the house, it says he was a child. He wasn't a baby. So we know there was a substantial amount of time that they journeyed to see him. They gave of their talent. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, they followed a star. He said, well, following a star is a talent? Well, maybe not necessarily, but you have to learn the science. You you have to be the astronomer to be able to look up into the sky and see and all of a sudden notice, hey, there's something different. Hey, there's this star. You have to be uh, educated enough to read the, the prophecies. And these guys, whether or not they were Christians, we don't know. I will lead to that at the end. But they knew enough where they read the messianic prophecies and they knew about the coming Savior to the point where then they saw that star in the sky. They instantly knew what it was and they went to follow it. And they gave of their worship. As they came into the room, as they came down and, and saw the child Jesus, the first thing they did is they worshiped. They bowed down and they worshiped and they gave these gifts. They sought God, they worshiped God, and they gave to God. All three things that also apply to us, things that we can do. You see, the way of the Magi is a way of faith. They looked for God's provision of a Savior, something that had been spoken about for years and years and years, decades before. They looked for it, and they saw it. They found it in Jesus. They submitted to him, and they worshiped him. Now, I want you to flip and look at the other side. Because when we talk about this, there was also another person that we talked about at the end, King Herod. And so I want to go back and read this. King Herod then summoned the wise men, this is in verse 7, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too can come and worship him. We know this is a big fat lie. He didn't want to worship the Christ child. And he actually represents a, the opposite side of the coin, if you will. So we have the wise men, we have the magi that come and come from a great distance and they give of their time and their talents and their worship to come worship the king of kings and know this. And then you have Herod, who really was probably only about four miles or so away from the Christ child from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, four, maybe four and a half miles, somewhere in there, okay? And instead of actually getting up and going and searching and finding him to see for himself, he has some people go do it for him. And see, there's a lot of people in this world, there's a lot of people in life that have that same feeling when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to being presented with the Christ child, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't want to go seek and find themselves. Oh, that's okay. You guys go do it. You tell me what you find and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And it's a difference in attitude. 
Those wise men went and worshiped. King Herod's response is, let me know about it, but it's not enough for me to travel. He's more concerned that the presence of Christ would interfere in his life. He's more concerned that the presence of Christ would interfere with his kingdom, with his power, with his position. I can't help but think how many of us feel that way at times. We say we love God, we want to worship him, but then there's times in our life where we say, well, I'm a little concerned about what God's going to do with my position right now, with, with, with the things that I have, my power. How is it going to interfere? I can't go do some of these things that I want to do because this gospel, this Christ child interferes with my life. And so my question today is, is what attitude are we going to take this Christmas season? Which way are we going to decide to live our lives? Which way are we going to look? Are we going to choose the way of the wise men to give of our time and our talent and our worship and to know that nothing in this life is greater than living for Jesus Christ? Nothing in this life, nothing this Christmas season, no gift that you can open is greater than the gift that he's already presented to you in the Christ child that came, that lived and died, but on the third day rose again. And defeated death, hell, and the grave. There is no greater gift in the history of the world, nor will there ever be a gift greater than what he gave. But it's up for us to decide what we're going to do with the Christ child. How are we going to respond? We have to respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of us are going to be going to holiday parties. Many of us have gone to holiday parties already. Many of us are going to see family members during this time. Some of them that maybe we only see once a year. And I can't help but think of all the opportunities that are saying, hey, how's your life going? Hey, what did you do this year? Man, let me tell you about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And some people shrink back and say, man, you don't understand. That's hard to do when you're around family. How much do you love your family? How much do you desire for them to have that relationship with Christ that you do? That is worth for a little uneasiness. That is worth, worth the time of just being a little uncomfortable for a moment to know that you can share these gifts. There was research that was done within the last year. Lifeway Research asked unchurched people. They did a study and they asked them this. If someone you know invited you to attend church with them, at Christmas, how likely would you attend? 57% of the respondents said that they would come. 57%. Six out of every 10. All they needed was somebody to invite them. These are people in this study that represent people you already know. These are neighbors. These are coworkers. This is the same person at the gas station that you see. The same person when you go through the drive-through window to get your coffee. These are the people that you already have an established rapport with. These are people that you know, or at least are aware of, and they're aware of you. 57% would come if somebody would only invite them. I can stand out on the street corner. I can step up on the soapbox and preach the gospel. I can tell people to come to church. 
And they look at me and they say, I don't know who that guy is. But yeah, you know them personally. Or you're an acquaintance of them or a coworker of them and they would listen to you and they would say, hey, wait a minute, okay, well, this guy's pretty cool. He's not loony like that guy in the soapbox out on the corner. <laughs> Man, maybe I'll try it out. And the statistics show 57% would come. We have opportunities here. Jim had given me a, a list of dates months ago and said, hey, I need you to pick out some of these dates and look and see when, when you want to preach. And I did a couple of them in the summer because I know that's the easiest time for me to be able to do this with my traveling schedule. But when I saw one in December, I bam, that's it. Put me down on that one because I already knew the opportunities. Christmas parties, family get-togethers, Christmas service, uh, a Christmas-like service next Sunday, right? A Sunday morning, but also then Monday night, Christmas Eve service, where we have an amazing opportunity to invite people that we know to say, hey, can, can you just come with me? Come check it out. One of the things that actually is a draw for a lot of people is the candlelight service. That actually amps it up a little bit. gives you a little, little extra ammo. Because <laughs> a lot of people enjoy that. One last stat. This was from the Billy Graham Center. I'm, I'm hoping you guys know about Billy Graham. I don't have to go down that road. But Billy Graham Center and Lifeway Research found that unbelievers' willingness to have a spiritual conversation with somebody they knew and knew that that person valued their faith is almost 80%. Almost 80% of coworkers, neighbors, friends that would say, hey, you know what? If I know that person takes their faith seriously, if I know that person is a follower of Christ and they're trying to live their life out best to do that and they want to have a conversation with me, eight out of every 10 people would say I would have that conversation. And see, that's all we're asked to do, Right? I know sometimes I sound like a broken record. We're not called to save people. All we're called to do is to share the gospel. All we're called to do is be the messenger. And so 80% of the people said that I'd listen to you. And I close with this. As we look through the book of Matthew, which is where I focus today. I know some of the things I brought out of Luke, but most of them came out of Matthew. The book of Matthew starts with a theme of come and see. Come and see the Christ child. Come and see the one that's been prophesied about. The king of the Jews. The one that came to save his people from their sins. To save eternity. To save people from an eternity in hell. And it ends in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. With the great commission that basically tells us to go and tell. To go and tell people the story of the Christ child. And that's my call today. That's my challenge to every single one of us to take full advantage of the opportunities that are before us in this next week and a half, two weeks that we have here. Not even two weeks. To be bold. Right? To be like those wise men. To be focused on, I'm going after that Christ child. I'm going to bring my gifts and my talents and my worship. And then that I'm telling all those people along the way. 
That's another thing that's not mentioned in Scripture, but I can just imagine these guys, this big old entourage, right? Taking weeks, months, maybe a year, however long it took, across the desert with all these people and everybody asking, where are you going? What are you doing? We're going to see the Christ child. We saw that star in the sky. We know the prophecies. We know that he's here. Think about all the people even that they, they touched and they told on the way there. So many things that God gives us in Scripture that if we just take that time to just sit and meditate and say, okay, God, what do you, man, I never saw that. Man, I never, I never saw this part right here. So many little things. And that's our challenge. Take those opportunities, even if it's something small. To just say, man, I went through this tough time, but God got me through it. I went through this and this and this this year. As you see family members, how was your year? Man, it's so easy to slide it in there, I'm telling you. And the more you do it, the easier and easier and easier it gets. Where it becomes second nature. It becomes second nature. My crew at work, they know. I was just gone for, I was gone from those guys for almost six weeks. Because I was out traveling. When I came back, they already knew. Here come the stories. They're ready for it. But you know what? They, they listen. And they hear it. And some of them even ask me what happened. And they want more. They want to know more. Because we've built that relationship and we know. And we all have those people in here. I'm not saying you ignore the people that you don't know. But what I'm saying is right now, this time, this season, this few weeks right here, the Lord is putting it on the tee for you. You know what I mean by putting it on a tee? Baseball. Put it on a tee to hit it out of the park to make it easy to see. So my charge is that let's go and tell what is at hand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the depth. I thank you for just the, the thoughtfulness, just the, the amazing, the amazingness, if you will, of your word and how it's alive and it's active, and it digs down deep into the innermost beings of us. It reveals things to us that maybe we've never seen before, maybe we've never thought about before. We thank you for this season, Lord, that even as a people, even as a country, we can acknowledge a day that we set aside to honor you. And I know it's commercialized and all everything, but, but I know that those that follow you, Lord, we know what this is about. And what a great opportunity for us to be that light. To be able to share the gospel during this time of year with family and friends, people that we care about, people that we love. And so, Father, I pray for a boldness for my friends and my family here that we would be able to speak the truth in love. That would be that vessel that you use as you're drawing people to yourself already. That you would use us to be the mouthpiece. That you could save their lives, Lord. You could save their soul. With all the heads still bowed and all the eyes still closed, it's impossible to go and tell somebody about the Christ child if you don't have a relationship with the Christ child yourself. It is impossible for you to be that witness for the gospel 
if you've never made those steps yourself. And there's always, every week, there's always people, churches all across America and all over the world, there's people that go to church for years and years and years and years and even would consider themselves a Christian, but they've never surrendered their lives to Christ. They've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. And so I want to give you that opportunity this morning. There may be somebody in here to say, you know what, I've never done that. I, I, I know a lot about him. I, I've even told people about them from time to time, but I don't have that relationship with Christ. And I want to pray with you this morning. So if there's anybody here that would say, hey, I don't, I don't have that. I don't know that. I don't have that relationship with Christ. Right now, I just want you to look up at me. I just want you to look up at me. I'm looking all over the room. I'm going to take my time, look and see who, if anybody looks up. I'm not trying to put you on blast. I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything like that, but this is a serious moment. It's a serious thing. We can play the game. And we can speak the language. We can even do some of the right things. But at the end of the day, when you're laying in your bed before you go to sleep, you and your heart know whether or not you really have that relationship with Christ. Or whether it's a facade. And this time of year, Christmas season, what a better time than to know that you know that you know that you've surrendered your life to Christ. Is there anybody at all? Taking my time, anybody at all. You might say, I can't do that right now, and I want to challenge you to come see me before you leave this building. I want to talk with you. I want to share with you. And for those of us that are, that are in here and you say, man, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I want, to, I want to share the gospel with people, but I don't, know how to, I don't know how to close the deal. I don't know how to pray that prayer of salvation with them. It's simple this, Romans 10 Verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. What does justified mean? As Pastor Frank said for years, just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God sees you. And it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. That's the simplicity of salvation. That's the confession before the Lord of making him the Lord of your life. We do that many times in a prayer, but it works just the same by you speaking those words with your mouth. <laughs> you can lead somebody through that. Jesus is Lord. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, I pray for every one of my friends and family in this room. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their testimonies. I thank you for what you have done through them. I thank you how you shine through them, Lord, how you've strategically placed them in all the places that they are to meet all the people and to have all the relationships that they have, Lord, for this time, for this moment, for you to be able to work through them. So I pray for that courage. I pray for that boldness. I pray for open mouths. I pray for love to go forth. And most importantly, for that gospel message to be shared. The real reason for Christmas, that we would be like the wise men, that we would give of our gifts and our talents, and that we would go and we would tell. Father, bless them as we go from here. Give them a great week and ample opportunity to share their faith with the people that they come in this week, come in contact with. 
special blessings on them in Jesus' name. Amen. So the elders are going to be up front. If you have any prayer needs, if you're one of those that's sitting there saying, man, I should have, I should have said something. I should have, I should have looked up at them. There's still time. I'll be here. I got to preach another service. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But before we go, remember cafe, hang out. And you know what? If you see people that come in from the second service, it's good to see them and hang out. But make sure they get in here for the second service. All right? It's a good message. They need to hear it. That's not biased at all, right? <laughs> but I leave you with this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.